What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with a Saturday podcast, apparently, because I am wired from taking caffeine a little bit too late in the day. And I feel like there was stuff to talk about that we caught behind on a little bit with the three mailbags we put out. I hope you guys enjoyed those. If you have not, go check them out. And very quickly, and like always, please... Remember to subscribe to us if you haven't done it already. If it's your first time checking us out, hit sub on YouTube, like, comment if you're already subscribed to help the algorithm maybe love us back a little bit. Um, Also, subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast if you're checking us out for the first time. And cross subs mean a lot, YouTube and the podcast platforms. Recommending us can mean a great deal as well if you've done both of those things. Shouting us out on Twitter, telling friends, family members, enemies, coworkers, random acquaintances on the street about us. Um, Anything you could do to just ensure that the podcast continues to grow. And finally, but not leastly, join our Discord. The link to that is in the podcast and YouTube descriptions. And also follow us on all the socials. TikTok and Twitter are at Hardwood Knox, and Instagram is at Hardwood underscore Knox. It'd be nice to have some more followers on those since I have been putting an effort to put original content polls and stuff up on all of those platforms. Let's begin with the Al Horford news in Boston. Uh, he signs a two-year, $20 million extension. That's a, I, I want to call it a steal because yes, this is going to be his age 37 and 38 seasons and he'll turn 39 in that penultimate one, but two years and 20 million, that's less than what the mid-level is going to be. If it's about 10 million a year, like the mid-level is going up the non-taxpayers mid-level to 11. Um, again, I know he's getting older, but his is a game that should age really well. It's never been prided on explosion and the things he does are more IQ and, and finesse and craft than anything else. Um, did, you know, having that half season off in OKC do his body so well that now it's like extended his career. Not sure, but that's huge for the Celtics. I think not just because he's a good fit and for him, I get it. He probably could have gotten more elsewhere. Maybe it's only over one year, but it wouldn't have shocked me with the cap going up. If some team was like, we want Al Horford for our locker room and here's two years and like the 28 million or something like that. Um, as Tim McMahon pointed out, uh, he's going to have made almost $300 million by the time this next contract is up. So if he wanted to just prioritize winning and the Celtics are the best team in the league as we record this, even after their their loss to the Miami Heat, I get that. I don't like You can't fault that. And it just seems like a good fit. He seems happy there. Um, but it's it's huge for the Celtics, not just because he is good, but like the Robert Williams III seems like he's nearing a return, but he's injured all the time. Um, you've gotten good minutes out of Luke Cornett this season. You have Grant Williams. He's good, but he's going into restricted free agency. Like, your front line isn't necessarily settled. Like, yeah, one through four, when you have Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, Marcus Smart, Sam Hauser lighting it up this year, even Peyton Pritchard playing really well. Like, you're all kind of set. But you're looking at, like, the big man spots, the four and the five, Horford being able to play next to RW3 or just being the sole big himself. Just having someone who has proven durable relative to RW3 and is not a flight risk anymore like Grant Williams and restricted free agency this summer, I, I think that that's, that had to factor in a huge deal for this. Um, what, I, what I also do find interesting, and I don't like viewing con- contracts in this context, but I, d- I feel like Corford's taking a little bit of a risk in the sense that that final season feels like he could just be traded because you have that expiring number at a tidy like $10 million or whatever it'll end up being. Do they scale down? Do they scale up? We'll have to see. So, like that's just like, like that's a contract that feels like it's built to be moved. Maybe he's just too good. And so you're not getting rid of him anyway, but that's just something that's weird. So I do think it's worth keeping an eye on, but this is a, it's a home run for the Celtics. Not again, Horford is good and valuable to them, but I think he's even more valuable than maybe he was last season when you're kind of scaling ahead to what their front court rotation might look like. The, the next thing that we have to talk about at this point is the, I'm going to go with the Chicago bulls here 
and they are not good. They are their defense is, has impressed me, but Woj was on ESPN, and I'm going to play the clip for everybody actually. But talking about how Chicago could wind up being sellers at the trade deadline. So here here's Woj on ESPN. I think for the Lakers, a lot of teams in this league, they're going to be watching what happens with one of the teams we have playing tonight, the Chicago Bulls. Do the Bulls pivot at some point this season? Do some of their players become available? That's not the case now, but I think for the Lakers between now and February 9th, are, are there some uh, high-end talent that, that is not available now that becomes available closer to are the deadline? Are we speaking of a certain guy who just was paid $215 million and is from Southern California? Might his name come up? Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic. I think those are all players, people in the league, teams are waiting to see, will any of them be available by the trade deadline. Right now, this is a Chicago team that wants to make the playoffs, wants to get a healthy Lonzo ball back. They're not ready to concede yet. So the Bulls are not going to blow it up. And I get why people think that they might. And I don't, I want to make it clear. I don't think trading Vucevic would constitute blowing it up for them. I just don't know, you know, long-term, especially how valuable he is. The Bulls, they've underachieved this year. Their offense has been on a lot of nights, dog shit. I don't understand why you're trying to build a team around Vooch, Levine, and DeRozan with very few athletic defenders and then guys who don't get up three-point volume. The Bulls are in the bottom five of three-point frequency, and I believe three-point percentage as well. I haven't checked the stats after the their game with the Warriors. That's an issue. A lot of it is Lonzo Ball is out, and he's valuable to them at both ends for his three-point volume and for just the you know the defensive disruption. I think this team... They've surprised me with the number of turnovers they've still been able to force. Um, they are in the top 10 of points allowed per possession, so they, they've overachieved there, and some of their lineups really working. But the offense has been more of a slog than it should be. How much of that is just Levine not really in form yet? Uh, he's shooting like sub-32% from mid-range. Uh, his three-point shooting is dipped, but like he's still shooting a pretty high clip on his you know non-corner threes, which I think is is a big deal. So there, there feels like there's something off. Patrick Williams is sort of not being high volume enough on offense, even when he has those good nights. Like, it, is there value in going two of four, three of four from three? I'm not talking about his O of eight performance from the field against Phoenix, of course. Like, but it's so low volume. So you look at this team and it feels like they have so many that they're searching for so many things. You see them change their starting lineup against the Warriors, where they're inserting Javante Green and Crusoe coming back. Um, and and so. There's so many questions, and I think a lot of people believe that, oh, maybe maybe they would blow it up. We've seen the DeMar DeRozan to the Lakers scenario prop up. Bill Simmons had talked about it. I didn't listen to the pod, but I saw it get aggregated uh, or at least thrown on Twitter. Um, Zach Lowe mentioned it on his pod that the Lakers have at least, they have not made an offer, but that there hasn't been a discussion in Lakerland about, oh, would we go after Vooch and DeRozan? I don't know if that constitutes blowing it up. DeRozan's really good. I don't know if Vooch's value to this team moving forward is, is complicated. I think he's probably been better offensively um, overall than he was for uh, much of last year. And like, okay, good. There's, there's value in that. And ideally when you're going to build your offense around DeMar DeRozan, like, yes, it's he, he's shooting 34% from three good enough on that type of volume, four and a half attempts per game. And he's shooting almost 55% on his twos. I still believe even when Vooch isn't good, he's just a very effective connective passer, but look, the bulls, uh, they're not going to blow it up. They have that pick. They owe to the magic with top four protection. And so if you if you make a move to bottom out this season, and I would constitute, I think if you trade to Rosen, kind of knowing that Lonzo Ball might not play this year with that knee injury, that, that would, you know, you'd come pretty close to, that, that would almost be worse. You know, if you're going to bottom out, bottom all the way out, uh, because 
if you have, let's say top, if you finish with one of the three worst records, and we'll get into that in a second, you have 52.1% chance of getting a top four pick. So yes, it's more than a coin toss, but it's basically a coin toss. And so if you finish, you know, like your fourth, fifth in the order, excuse me, like you could send like this prime time pick to Orlando that you didn't need to. So there's no value in bottoming out this season. You could try it. Like if you're getting a like a a caps lock draft pick haul for Levine or DeRozan and you really want to start over, I you could try it. Like you could because you don't you look at this as a sunk cost. Um, and then you just move forward with the picks and maybe prospects that you've accumulated. And who knows if you finish with a, you know, one of the top lottery odds, like maybe you're able to keep that pick. It's just, look, there's plenty of season left to play, but you look at the bulls and they're too close to the middle to do that effective tank. If you want to call it, there's six games, six losses, excuse me, in front of the Orlando magic and may, uh, excuse me, it's five losses in front of the Orlando magic. Okay, fine. But like, you have to tank your ass on it. Like the Hornets, what's going on with Lamella Ball? And they're just, they're just bad. The Thunder are behind you. And is there a point where they're going to not play Shea as much if they if they lose enough? They've been frisky. I will say that. Like the Thunder have been good, especially when Shea's on the floor. Does that hold all season? The the Rockets, yeah, they beat the Suns on the road. Like that's cool and fun, but they're bad. Um, the Spurs, they're awful. They might be the they've definitely been the worst team in the league since they started the season, like gangbusters. The Pistons, Cade's injured. We don't know when he's coming back. They're going to be terrible. They did beat the Mavericks, though, but that's sort of an indictment on the Mavericks, although Killian Hayes might be a superstar. And then the Magic are just like, they've dealt with a slew of injuries in the backcourt, um, to Palo Bancaro as well. So they might, like, they're fun, and there's a base there, but we're talking about, like, you have to, let's assume the Lakers leapfrog the Bulls right now. Okay, fine, whatever. The Thunder, the Hornets, the Rockets, the Spurs, the Pistons, the Magic. Those are six teams that you're in front of right now. And you have to out bottom out four of them to have one of like the, the top lottery odds in the equation. So, and then like, yes, it's, 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 it's likely that you wouldn't be sending. It's mostly likely that you wouldn't be sending Orlando, like number five or number six, if you're finishing with the, um, you know, one of like a bottom two record or a bottom three record instead of the absolute worst record. If you finish with the absolute worst record, like you can only send them, you'll be in the top four or you'll get number five. Like you can't fall lower than five, but that would almost be more of a disaster. Like it's, you send them the seventh pick because let's say you had the third worst record. It's all right. Like, but if you send them the fifth pick, you just, I don't think you can justify bottoming out in that vein. And every, everything we've seen from their front office is, geared towards the exact opposite is like they've tried to tread water either in the middle or just they read too much into i mean when they went after derosen in the first place it's not a matter of oh they didn't necessarily double down on last season they didn't make any huge moves but they were better than expected for part of last season but the angle was getting a lot better than people thought they should have quicker than they should have they go and they trade for vooch and then you bring in lonzo ball and you bring in demar derosen you bring in alex caruso caruso signing i thought was a great signing lonzo ball turned out to be a good signing for his health issues derosen's making his money so they haven't made any franchise malpractice moves maybe the trade for vooch when you're looking at the opportunity cost here especially with what wendell carter jr has turned into so i get it i get the criticism and i get the inclination to yeah if someone comes along is going to blow you away with an offer who's blowing you away for an offer DeMar for DeMar DeRozan like yes he is really good would you do that for the Lakers two unprotected first round picks again I guess you consider it because DeRozan is in a in his age 33 season excuse me um but like you do risk then you're gonna send this high pick to Orlando and I think that this is going to be a franchise at least until the offseason 
Um, they're going to try, and, and it might even be for the next couple seasons, because when you look at their pick commitment to Orlando, like it's not just, okay, after this season, it's over, we're done with, it's cool. You owe a top four protected pick this year, and then it becomes top three protected. So like you have two years now where that's a very loosely protected pick. Tanking doesn't guarantee that you keep it. Um, it like that's too precarious of a situation to be in because, okay, you keep your pick next year, this year, fine. If you're, if you're bad enough, but then are you going to be good enough to ensure that you maybe don't send another primetime pick in 2024? No. And so it just doesn't feel like the right timing of a rebuild when you're looking at the aim of this organization and also the pick constraints that they're now up against. And like, look, Hey, this kind of matters too. Your 2025 pick is owed top 10 protected, um, to the, uh, to the to the Spurs, um, but two years after, so that could be 2026, depending on what happens with the Orlando pick. It's just they're not set up to tank, which is bad. Uh, you could, again, if you're getting enough picks, Zach Levine is going to be the guy that gets you the most picks. Our team is willing to roll the dice on him, where it's, yeah, he's got four years left on his contract, which is an asset. He's, he's nowhere near considered old. Like, this is someone who is still in the heart of his prime, or since this is age 27 season, is he just entering his prime? But all the knee stuff in the rear view that has to be concerning. And so unless you're getting bowled over with the Rudy Gobert type or Donovan Mitchell type return, you're not going to blow it up. And so it's way more likely that the bulls just knowing how loosely protected their first rounder is the next two seasons. You want to convey it now. Like it gets easier to, if you convey it this season, then it's just, it's over. It's done with. And then you can start worrying about, Oh, is maybe the time to bottom out because you can ensure that you don't send a top 10 per 10 protected pick to San Antonio. And so this is more of a question for the Bulls over the offseason. Doing it now, look, if the Lakers came calling for two firsts and you think that you could tread water enough without DeMar DeRozan uh, to to just pick up the Lakers late first-round picks so you have those in your chamber, I think you could go that route. But we're not going to see, even if you're including both Vooch and DeRozan, do you think that the Bulls aren't going to be appreciably worse? Maybe they're still not. If Zach, if you're going to play Zach Levine, if Lonzo comes back, if Caruso stays healthy, if you know Io DeSumo, this gives Patrick Williams some extra reps. Like maybe you're, I, I would still say you're too good with Zach Levine to be one of like the worst teams, but you're still in a position to where you might be sending Orlando a better pick than you would want. Again, that shouldn't be the entire factor, but you have to at least safeguard yourself against the bottoming out part. And so Zach Levine specifically. Uh, to me, would be off the table once he's trade eligible. I just, I don't see the value in doing it now unless you are getting that return. But regardless of what they do, even if they're sellers, it's going to be more half-assed to me than not. If they went that route, which again, I don't expect them to, it's not going to be this full-scale teardown because they, they just can't afford to do it. And like the, the public relations nightmare would look if you're sending a very high lottery pick to Orlando. Now you could wind up doing that anyway, I think that's the other argument here is, is like as of right now that you are not even in the uh, Eastern Conference playing tournament. Like, yeah, you're hovering around that territory, but you're behind the Knicks. You're in, you're in 12th. So th- that can be a factor. Oh, we're still going to send them a lottery pick anyway. But I do think the optics are going to matter to this franchise and they should. What they shouldn't do, I would say, is double down and like, oh, can we we have technically that Portland pick this year? If it you know, if if it conveys we have Patrick Williams, is there a team that's interested in Kobe White? Like, you know, we have Alex Caruso as a team want to buy in on Lonzo Ball while he's injured. I don't want to see them. I don't think this is a team that should double down now and try and get noticeably better. If an opportunity arises where the the cost of entry for a player who really helps your team, like, is it someone who's really going to sling up your three-point volume or just give you more uh, of an athletic defender? 
on that type of a scale, yeah, absolutely do it. And again, there's a team that's really in love with Vucevic. I don't, I don't think losing him would be this blow. I think you'd probably still be good enough to hover around play in territory. Absolutely. But I don't think that you can make any wholesale buy or sell moves here. And by that, I mean, you're certainly the DeRozan is like the middle ground. I would still lean against the team entertaining it. But if the Lakers came calling with two picks, you have to, I'm talking about it's, it's the Zach Levine demarcation line, getting rid of him. It's just, it's not happening. And he's not young enough to be part of a rebuild, but he's young enough to where like you can wait until the summer and nothing's going to happen with value. And maybe you retinker the roster, feel better about it with him. Or that's when you make this decision after you've conveyed your loosely protected pick to Orlando. Um, so it's, you're not going to go to that extreme, but you also can't be like, you know, this isn't one of the teams that should be trying to sneak in and get in the John Collins sweepstakes for interest. I'm just throwing a name out there. Or if Bradley Beal becomes available, that's a more feasible name that feels like they could become available. Or if the Heat really just keeps sucking, even though they just beat the Celtics and Jimmy Butler wants that. Like you, that's a bad example because uh, I don't think Jimmy Butler would want to go back to Chicago. Uh, so, like, you just shouldn't be the team that's going to be an extreme buyer or an extreme seller. You're kind of, I think the Bulls are trapped here for now. Just, I don't think you want to put yourself at risk of sending Orlando too glitzy of a first rounder this season. So I would expect them to be and And so if we're talking about like medium buyers or sellers, I would still lean that. I think they will be buyers over sellers, if not Sam Patters, but that is something to monitor. I just don't think teams waiting for Zach Levine around the league. And maybe we're just talking about the Lakers here because that's such a delusional organization. It's not going to happen. Let's go into the Lakers who there was some news in Lakerland because this team is a speculation factory first and then a basketball team second at the moment. Um, multiple sources told The Athletic that the Lakers are weighing three different paths to noticeably improving their roster. They are, path one, trade Russ plus a pick or two for a star or multiplayer hall. Path two, trade some combination of Patrick Beverly, Kendrick Nunn, and picks, one first and or multiple seconds, for role players who better address needs and upgrade the rotation. And then there's path three, which is doing both of those where it's trade one pick, one first round pick with Westbrook, and then another first round pick using Beverly or none. I don't really know what's, I think the all in path just makes the most sense. If you're going to trade both first round picks, like really do it and see if you can do Russ plus two first. What does that get you? I don't love path two. trade some combination of like Beverly and none. And maybe a first that that's half assed. And I don't know who you're going. If you have to give up a first round pick to get, and he wanted, if it's just them and seconds, yeah, sure. That's not, that's half ass, but you're not giving up any uh, really like glamorous equity there. But if you have to attach one first, I'd rather see what I could get for both just because, like, what are, what are you doing at that point? With all this said, though, I came up with trade ideas, some of, one of which was at least a refinement of previous talks that we know they've had um, for all of these scenarios that I'm going to go through. So I have one tr- I trade idea for each one. I'll throw it up on the screen for any YouTube watchers. Um, we'll go with path number one, the star route. Uh, that is, it's it's with the Pacers. Surprise. So in this deal, I have the Lakers getting O'Shea Brissett, Buddy Heald, Miles Turner, Cleveland's 2023 first round pick. It's lottery protected and then turns into two seconds if not conveyed. And then the Pacers get Damian Jones, Russ, Chicago's 2023 second, which, you know, that could be in the 30s. And then the Lakers 2027 and 29 first round picks unprotected. Uh, this was not a trade. I think both sides were kind of just like Lakers fans were not amused by this. They don't think that you, they, they don't think that you give up two first round picks to play to get a player who plays Anthony Davis's best, albeit his least preferred position. 
At the same time, Turner is the closest acquisition to a star the Lakers can reasonably chase without almost assuredly getting outbid by other teams. They can dangle swaps in 26 and 28 on top of 27 and 29, um, those unprotected first. And it, it is a lot. But other teams will offer more if it's a name like Bradley Beal or Zach Levine. Maybe that package gets you into a theoretical Beal sweepstakes since he has a no-trade clause and can very much control where he goes. But neither he nor the Washington Wizards give have given any indication that they wish to dissolve the marriage once he's eligible to be traded on January 15th. That's what you would be waiting for, by the way. I do think a Jimmy Butler trade demand could be interesting for the Lakers. He's 33. Three seasons left on his deal, 146.4 million. That final year is a 52.4 player option. Both are prohibitive numbers if you're prospective suitors. And yet, while I think the Lakers would gladly go all in for that, another team might still come over the top and beat their best offer of an expiring contract, two swaps, and two unprotected firsts. I also just feel like that ventures too far in the land of make-believe. I don't think that Jimmy Butler wants to leave Miami right now. There's also the Kyrie Irving trade scenarios. They loom, but the Nets are back above 500 and moving Kyrie risks alienating Kevin Durant, who is one, absolutely annihilating opponents on offense, and two, already requested a trade once himself. That's why I settled on Turner. He's having his own monster season. His scoring has never looked spiffier. Uh, Post-ups haven't accounted for such a high share of his offensive touches since he was a rookie and that was in 2015-2016. His 1.21 points per post-up possession, by the way, that's tied for Brooke Lopez for the most among every player who has used as many post-ups as Miles Turner. Uh, Turner's also downing almost 38% of his triples on, it's like okay volume, a little under five attempts for 36 minutes, and we've seen him just drop in some nice running layups or, or tough looks off drives. He, by the way, just continues to ruin lives around the basket. This is the third consecutive season in which he's averaged more than three blocks per 36 minutes. And he ranks tied for third in total shots contested at the rim, even though he doesn't even rank in the top 150 of minutes played. Figuring out how the Lakers hash out this deal, though, is incited so much back and forth. Why would the Lakers give up their two best trade ships for someone entering free agency who, like I said, plays Anthony Davis's best position? I do think the offensive fit would be rather seamless thanks to Turner's three-point shooting. And if you're getting rid of Russ in the process, you are opening up Miles Turner-centric touches inside the offense if that's going to be an issue for him. Surrendering both first to me is still a tough pill to swallow. The Lakers have to pay Turner this summer, and that's assuming he wants to stick around. And though Heald's functional shooting is a breath of fresh air for one of the clumpiest offenses in the league, his $19.3 million salary next season uh, makes it harder for LA to operate as a meaningful cap space team in free agency this summer. At the same time, waiting for the Pacers to drop their asking price to one first round pick just doesn't make sense. It gets it gets easier for them to swallow Wes- Russell Westbrook's salary now that we're so late into the season. But that number, $47.1 million, is so gargantuan, it hamstrings their ability to do anything other than waive him or broker a buyout. They should absolutely assess an opportunity cost tax, even though he's a temporary cap hit. That's why I expanded the deal. So send O'Shea Brissett and the Cavs first um, to to Los Angeles. For the Pacers, they might push back on that. But that Cleveland first, if it conveys, is going to be in the 20s. And Brissett's playing time has waxed and waned with this team. The Pacers should prefer, to me, the chance to short the Lakers' long-term future over keeping a low-end first and a player on an expiring contract who's just not going to be part of your team long-term. A long-term. I get that this takes a special kind of vision. Crown jewels in a trade typically aren't picks that don't convey for five and seven drafts. But the Pacers aren't drowning in extra first-rounders after the season. They have Boston's and Cleveland's plus their own in 23, and that's it. This is a chance to deepen that asset chest. And the Lakers first could be gems 
that the Pacers draft and develop or highly coveted trade assets they reroute down the line when they're really good. Forking over Cleveland's first to me is also a negligible add-on when Indy has that Boston pick. Can you include the Boston pick instead of Cleveland's? There's a difference between number 30 and number 22 to me. And so if I'm the Lakers, I'm pushing for Cleveland. Um, also, by trading Turner and Heald and even Brissett, you're juicing up the value of your own draft pick this season, which I do think is important because you're still in for as good as you are or as, you know, is I, I do think that their offense is more real than not. This is a team that I think will pull back a little bit, especially when you look at their point differential. But like you still should be in talent acquisition, young talent acquisition mode. I know Turner is an ancient, but is paying his next contract, assuming he wants to stay, which is the other element of all this. What if he doesn't want to stay in Indiana, no matter how much you offer? That's that's a possibility given how much he's been in trade rumors. People pointed out to me that this is not how the Pacers operate. It's this is the closest they've come to operating like that, though. We saw them sort of lean into the tank or bottoming out last year with the Sabonis trade. I know they were playing Tyrese Halliburton up until the end, but like they were still pretty bad and they embraced it. Um, so I, I, you do this if you're the Pacers to me. You're not giving up any long-term assets. And if you're the Lakers, you probably want more of a surefire all-star, but you get at least another first-round pick that you can reroute later or maybe draft this summer. And then Brissett has quietly nailed 41.4% of his threes since mid-November, and he maintains positional flexibility on defense, which is something they really need on the perimeter. Um, let's go to path two here. So path two is the none Beverly and one first round pick route. It's my least favorite route, but I have a deal for it because that that's the rules. This one is the Lakers get Jakob Pertl and Josh Richardson. The Spurs get Patrick Beverly, Kendrick Nunn, Chicago's 2023 second, and then the Lakers 2027 first round pick. Some Spurs fans will no doubt insist Pertl is worth more than a singular first. That's a tough case to make. If we're talking about two lower end firsts, perhaps, but an unprotected pick, a half decade-ish out, not so much. And also, San Antonio isn't absorbing Westbrook as part of this package. That matters. Teams are supposed to charge for that service. The Spurs are evading it altogether. None in Beverly, by the way, that's not players the Spurs will be interested in. They they, they can be rerouted or, or eventually, if not immediately, become buyout candidates. Pirtle's overall value is further complicated by his functional limitations and upcoming free agency. He is a crafty decision-maker near the elbows, great screen center, and savvy rim protector who's overstretched when he's been healthy within the context of San Antonio's like weird defense this year. It has not been good. He's also a crunch time liability because of his free throw shooting and his entry into free agency this summer renders him a flight risk. He's suffering from a quad injury right now. I don't know if that impacts his value either. The Lakers aren't going to value him anywhere near as turn as much as Turner. And that's, that's what they should do. His offensive fit next to AD isn't as squeaky clean and he's unlikely to be part of the Lakers go-to closing units. Still, the things he does well will help, especially given that Damian Jones and Thomas Bryant have failed to make an impact. Richardson is mission-critical wing depth. He can be matched up defensively with everyone from guards to power wings, and he subsists basically on catch-and-shoot threes at this point, which he's downing at a 40% clip. Traveling this path overall, though, feels half-baked. Like I said, it allows the Lakers to straddle two lines in theory, but it's also a vote of half-confidence in practice. If they want, if that, if like that's what they want, then so be it. This trade makes them better, doesn't entirely bankrupt their first round pick stores, and preserves their capacity to dredge up thirty plus million in cap space over the summer because both Richardson and Pirtle are expiring contracts. I would, would I do it if I'm the Lakers? This is not the trade I would actively pursue, but there are worse deals to make. But the fact that Russ would still be sitting on this roster afterwards, you probably really can't play him and Pirtle together, um, and you certainly can't play him, Pirtle, and AD together at the same time. 
Now we get though to the to the exciting one. That's the the path three, the multi deal route, which I squished into one trade. But there's there's three teams here, so let's go through it. The Lakers received Bojan Bogdanovich, Alec Burks, Malik Beasley, Mike Conley, and Kelly Olynyk. The Pistons get Patrick Beverly, Rudy Gay, the Lakers twenty twenty nine first round pick. The Jazz get Damian Jones, Kendrick Nunn, Russell Westbrook, Chicago's 23 second, a 2026 first round swap from the Lakers, and then an unprotected 2027 pick. The Jazz in this scenario, so you're you're sending out, if you're Utah, Malik Beasley, Mike Conley, Kelly Olenek, Rudy Gay. So you're sending out those four players, and you're getting back three expiring contracts, Chicago's 2023 second, the swap for the Lakers in 2026, which is far enough away that they might use it, and then that Lakers unprotected pick. So you're trading those four players that I just outlined for the Lakers first round pick in 27, that swap and Chicago's 2023 second rounder. Like that's the, that's the value you're getting is those three assets. The other value you are getting though, is you're escaping the final year of Rudy contract. He has a player option. And then Mike Conley, he's been good this year, but he has that huge guarantee. So you're really cleaning up your books by bringing in all these expiring contracts. There's value in that from a flexibility standpoint, even if you don't expect Utah to be free agency players, which you shouldn't. Um, I, you know, I, if I'm the jazz, I do this. Uh, they, the Conley guarantee, it's not bad money, but it's not an asset. And I think if you believe in this team and you just want to stamp hat and see it through, that's one thing, but to add um, another unprotected first round pick in the distance to your cachet of first round picks, that's huge. That's that's honestly huge. And look, if you want, I'll point this out. If you want the Lakers 2029 first round pick, Detroit should be amenable there. If I'm Utah, I prefer 27, even though they have, I mean, they have picks in both years. They have two extra picks in 27 right now and two extra picks in 29, I believe. But when you're going out to 2029, that's just too, that's too long for me because the Lakers, like maybe they stumble into a free agent or like a, a star free agent because free agency, yes, stars don't leave right now but maybe they do within the new CBA when the, you know, the cap spikes up. So you, you get 2027 where again, you have Cleveland's and Minnesota's first round picks, but those teams feel, especially Cleveland feel more likely to be good than, than the Lakers. So I would choose 2027. The question is, are you doing this for the one first round swap, the one first round pick again, I would because there's that swap in there. And so if the Lakers are truly bad and you're better than them, you do control two of their first round picks. And I don't think, Giving up uh, Kelly Olynyk, been useful for them this season. Will be useful for the Lakers, by the way. But he's not part of your long term picture. Like you have Walker Kessler there, Jared Vanderbilt, who Walker Kessler's already taking minutes from. Um, so like you don't need Ke- Kelly Olynyk, and you're probably not. Maybe you do resign him. I shouldn't say never, but like he's not mission critical to your future. Again, Mike Conley, you have Jordan Clarkson, you have Colin Sexton, so you're not light on guards. Malik Beasley is the tough one here. I think this trade comes down to basically. How much do you value Malik Beasley on that team option? So you control him through next season if you want. He's really, he's shooting like 40, almost over 39% from three on eight attempts per game. There's a ton of value in that. But I would prefer if I'm the Jazz, like I'm not, this is not a tank move. I want to make that clear. Like, yeah, you're leaning further into the rebuild, but I want that, those control, those two Lakers picks. And then you're, you are probably juicing up the value of your own pick this year. So, uh, and again, you're getting off the Rudy Gay money. And, but the fact that you're getting out from under Mike Conley's partial but huge guarantee, uh, that's going to give you more flexibility moving forward. Maybe they push for both first. If I'm the Lakers, I just I leave that on the table. From Detroit's perspective, uh, you're getting 
you have to eat the one year of Rudy Gay. That's fine. Patrick Beverly, buy him out, wave him, whatever, reroute him. Done. And just to get an unprotected pick down the line, and you're giving up Alec Burks and Boyan Bogdanovich. Now, maybe you get, you're not getting a first for Alec Burks on your own. I want to make that clear. Like, it's just not happening. He's been pretty good, but when he's played, he, he started the year injured. But you're not getting a first round pick for him. You might get one for Boyan Bogdanovich. I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to be one that's seven drafts out, which if you're Troy Weaver, are you thinking that long term? Maybe not, because you might not be the one running the team. And it's hard to sort of justify the crown jewel being this pick that conveys seven drafts from now. However, that's a massive chip to get for Boyan Madonovich, who, yeah, he's useful to you, but with Cade injured and you're not really headed anywhere this season, he's under contract for one more year guaranteed after the extension and then another year after that if, if you want to keep him. So there's value in that for the Lakers, but he's not going to be part of your bigger pic- picture. So to give up Burks, you're basically, you have to give up Burks and Bogdanovich and then eat one year of Rudy Gay at under $7 million to get the Lakers' 2029 first-round pick. You do that. I don't even think that's a question. If Pistons fans are listening, let me know what you think there. And I hope I'm breaking. I know three-team trades are complicated, so I'm trying to go through what the teams are giving up. So if you're the Lakers now, you're giving up Russ, Damian Jones, Kendrick Nunn, Patrick Beverly. So all those players, firing contracts, gone. I think that's fine. You're giving up the Chicago 2023 second. You're giving up both the first round picks in addition to the swap. So the only thing you have left like right now to technically trade would be a 2028 swap, which you could include that to Utah if they prefer that over 2026, by the way. just I'm just saying. Are you doing that when you get back? This is the Lakers hall. Boyan Bogdanovich, Alec Burks, Malik Beasley, Mike Conley, Kelly Olenek. I would do it. I like You're not getting a star, but Conley's an expert game manager. Um, you have... Malik Beasley, like I said, slinging it from three helps out a ton. And you can get some wing minutes from him. Boyan Bogdanovich gives you some one-on-one creation if you need it, but will also his three-point shooting is ticked down since the Kate Cunningham injury. Maybe that's related, um, but it'll come back up. Like he's going to be teed up from LeBron James and and Mike Conley here, who uh, he's already played with, by the way. So there's some familiarity there. Like you're you're all of a sudden like you have a ton of shooting. Olenek, Conley, Beasley, Burks, Bogdanovich. Those are five above-average shooters on a roster that just barely has any right now. The only thing you could argue is, oh, do we have sort of a de- like a, a surplus of that now because Lonnie Walker's on this team, and all of a sudden now we have Malik, Beely, Malik Beasley and Mike Conley and Boyan Bogdanovich, Alec Burks. You're getting rid of Kendrick Nunn and Russell Westbrook and Patrick Beverly as part of this. So, like, there's not too – if there's an unevenness – fine. It's better to have a surplus of shooting and even guys who can create for themselves rather than a deficit of shooting with guys who can create for themselves, but not efficiently. So those five players for two, let's just look the, the assets are, if you're the Lakers, the two first one swap for Bogdanovich Burks, Malik Beasley, Mike Conley and Kelly Olenek. I'm doing it. And you're punting on cap space next year because Conley has that fat, uh, partial guarantee it checks in at 14.3 million into his age 20, uh, 36 season you probably just guarantee the full 24.4 at that number and work with it if you want to trade him later and then Malik Beasley has that team option for I think he's at like 16 that's you know 16.5 you probably pick that up and then Boya Bogdanovich has another year left on his deal you can reevaluate then in 2020 for free agency when the when depending on like what happens with the salary cap you you might just have more flexibility anyway and so i i don't think that needs to be a big deal and these are all players that they'll be on expiring contracts and then you can move down the line kelly only can play next to anthony davis he can also just be your five uh, so i i don't 
I, I understand why you wouldn't do this because you want a star for those two picks. And like, now you're just playing your best hand, but like this, I think this is my favorite trade for the Lakers. And I don't think I'm fucking over any other team. I saw some jazz fans in my comments because I wrote about this who don't think it's realistic for Utah. I'm just saying you have to really like, what is the primetime asset you're giving up here? You're if, if you're looking at it, we're not getting enough because we're taking on Russell Westbrook. I get it. But at this point, if this trade happens after December 15th, it's it's like a half season of Russ's salary. And so your your I guess your value there is well, we're sending the Lakers two players in Conley and Beasley who are under contract for next season that help them. But like Conley's not going to be desirable money. I think he's at, at like anything a net. I think he's a net negative at that number next season. I'm going to be honest, but it, maybe a net neutral. And I, I love Mike Conley. Anyone who listens to the podcast knows how big a fan of his game I am. But like you're still getting off of the Rudy Gay money and you're getting control over two of the Lakers first. And like you don't need any imminent first round picks right now. And maybe, you know, and like again, the 2023 Chicago second rounder, that's like sort of nice and nifty. Um, if you weren't getting off of Rudy Gay, if you weren't getting the swap, I get it. But I think this is, it toes the line of just enough. Now, if you want to push for Austin Reeves, like would the Lakers give him up in this deal? Like, does that do it for you jazz fans? I'm honestly asking, I'm not trying to be an asshole here. Uh, I hope we don't have commenters on YouTube who just attack and say, I don't watch basketball or that I suck. Always happy to have discussions, but I get so frustrated when we put so much effort into this podcast and the YouTube commenters just like trash it by saying we suck and that we should stop or that we don't watch games. It's, I don't know why it bothers me. It shouldn't, but I think because I look at YouTube comments and I want to respond to people, uh, th- like I want to, people feel like the ones that are watching us consistently, like they're part of a community. So hopefully people at least take this understand. I'm not trying to fuck over the jazz. I know our discord members join our discord. Wink, wink. They'll understand where I'm coming from. Maybe it's not enough. You, you can let me know, but I, I think this is my favorite deal for the Lakers. I love it for the Pistons. And if I'm the Jazz, look, you're getting, give them the pick of the litter. They can have a 2028 swap and the 2029 first. Like you, they can pick one of the swaps, 26 or 28, and then one of the first round picks. And then the other first round pick will go to Detroit. I, I think that comes pretty close. And if it, if it doesn't, like you can rework the deal, I suppose, to where are you not giving the Lakers Kelly Olynyk? Uh, would you prefer to give him Jared Vanderbilt at this point? Also, the other thing I need to note here is the Lakers luxury tax bill skyrockets as a result of this. If they cheap out, I think the easy thing to do is like you can rework it. So it's basically the same structure, but Alc Burks isn't going to Los Angeles. Um, does he end up back in Utah? Like that would be something that we would have to maybe look at. Um, he could also just stay in um, D- Detroit. Like that structure would work as well. Um, I can rework the deal. And I did to where, Alec Burks is just not a part of it. So if the Lakers want to cheap out, their bill is still going to go up anyway. But this, I think, look, LeBron, AD, Boyer Bogdanovich, Alec Burks, Malik Beasley, Mike Conley, Kelly Olenek, those are seven really good players right there. You have Austin Reeves, assuming he's not part of this deal, um, on your roster. That's like all of a sudden a real eight-man rotation. And it's, oh, hey, like we have Lonnie Walker the fourth is still doing things for us. So... Like nine guys, like nine, like all of a sudden going nine good, like above average, let's say seven to eight above average NBA players deep. I, I don't know why you wouldn't do it. And the other, the other note would be if one of the other teams wants Thomas Bryant instead of uh, Damian Jones, then yeah, just like flip them out. They're, they're interchangeable there. So does it make them contenders? I like if LeBron and AD are healthy, like there isn't a team in the West that would scare me. 
against this roster. You can ask whether they're good enough defensively, but like it might not matter with how well AD is played and you have Austin Reeves. So like you have those two as your baseline defenders. I think Mike Conley at his age is still probably pretty underrated for what he does. Um, Malik Beasley, not like very great. So, you know, like you have defenders you can trust, maybe including LeBron at this point. I would say like there wouldn't be a team, the Nuggets and the Suns and the Pelicans all stick out, the Warriors. Like, yeah, those are teams that I might still pick ahead of the Lakers, but this is going in and you're deepening the roster a ton. So let me know what you think about these deals. Um, Until next time, please, one, remember to subscribe to us. Sub on YouTube if you made it this far with me. Um, and please, you know, sub Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast would really appreciate it. And I leave you join the discord, by the way, as I'm sort of stammering here, join the discord. Grant is in the discord. Why wouldn't you want to be the, and he's, he's actually, he's not like he's active. Grant is in the discord and he is saying things. Shout out to Grant for joining discord, who is just not really on social media. And I love him for it. like, that's the smart thing to do. Um, I'd probably be so much better for my mental health. If I wasn't on social media, join the discord, follow our socials at Hardwood Knox on Twitter and TikTok. Um, also at Hardwood Knox on YouTube as well, since they have handles now. And then at Hardwood underscore Knox on Instagram. If you have content ideas or something you want to see, we have mailbag set up in Discord along with Hot or Not. You can DM me as well. My Twitter is at Damp Valley. If you have specific content ideas, we're really open to like saying putting out content that you guys want to hear and consume. And if you do have critiques, if there's stuff that you think we can do better, like I'm very approachable when it comes to criticism, even if I'm going to disagree with some people on it, since I think this podcast is underrated as fuck. Uh, it's thermonuclear. It's underratedly thermonuclear as fuck. Um, I need to get a shirt that says thermonuclear AF. Is I think I need to make that happen. Until next time, I'll leave you the shout out to the one, the only, the answer to all of his team's problems as they're sort of wandering in the wilderness right now. Frank, Neela, Kina.